Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. When the Taliban returned to power in Afghanistan in August 2021, the governments in Central Asia must have expected relations with their southern neighbor would become more complicated. Four of the five Central Asian states engaged in a dialogue with the Taliban, hoping to reach an understanding that would preserve their own stability and possibly keep Afghanistan open as a potential trade route. Only the Tajik government chose to treat the Taliban as a threat and kept its contacts with the Afghan militant group to a minimum. More than a year and a half later, these relations are developing and evolving. And right now, new understandings are being reached, especially with the border states of Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and Turkmenistan. And to discuss all this, I am joined by Salim Janayob, the director of RFARL's Tajik service, known locally as Azadi, Farooq Yusufi, director of RFARL's Turkmen service, known locally as Asadlik, and Alishir Sadiq, director of RFARL's Uzbek service, known locally as Azadlik. Thank you all for joining me. And Salim John, I want to start with you. Uh, I mentioned the Tajik government publicly has been displeased with the return of the Taliban to power and has largely avoided engaging with Taliban officials. Uh, but this week, a Taliban delegation visited Tajikistan. Could you tell us more about that? Yes, sure. Yeah, a Taliban delegation uh, arrived in Tajikistan, how to say, of course, uh, with the permission of the Tajik government, however, without, uh, let's say, diplomatic entourage of those visits, they entered uh, Tajikistan with the commercial visas, uh, business visas, business trade visas, but not diplomatic one. And uh, they were in Dushanbe. We don't know if there was any meeting between uh, the uh, Afghan delegation and the Tajik authorities. But then they uh, arrived in Khorug, the center of the Gornabadakhshan autonomous region. And uh, there they they met with the with some officials uh, of the uh, local government, and also visited uh, the uh, consulate of Afghanistan, which was destroyed by avalanche uh, early February. And it's looking like uh, the Tajik authorities are not commenting, are not either um, confirming or denying the visit. Uh, some of them, of the record, confirming that uh, the Taliban people were there. So it shows that the relationship between the two sides uh, in a kind of uh, in a time of change. Uh-huh. Is this this is the first time a Taliban uh, any Taliban group has shown up in Tajikistan since August 2021. 20, is this correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. When when they arrived in Samarkand, some Tajik journalists uh, rushed to Samarkand to see a live Taliban because uh, so uh, until until so this visit is the first one when uh, Taliban at least climbing uh, they officially visited Tajikistan, but the Tajik authorities are not uh, denying or confirming that. So it's the beginning of of new era of relationship, I think. Okay, and sorry, just one last question because I want to make this clear for our audience. The, the Tajik government is the only government in Central Asia that I know of that has not sent any delegation to Kabul to speak with the, the Taliban since uh, they, they came back to power. Is that, uh, is that true? Yes, that's true. Um, even uh, there was no... 
no high level meeting between, for example, Tajik ambassador and, and some uh, high level official of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs so far. At least we don't know. At least it was not on, on the media. Uh, so, yeah, and there was a lot of problems between the two sides because Taliban accused Tajikistan of supporting a northern uh, front uh, led by Ahmad Massoud. And there was a conflict on the American aircraft left by the Afghan pre, pre, Afghan army in, in in Tajikistan, and also there was a lot of uh, even even some in some at some point uh, uh, they threatened Tajikistan with some consequences if uh, the Dushanbe will continue interfering in internal affairs of Afghanistan. But now it's looking like uh, actually um, the first uh, good sign was when when both sides agreed that to continue export of electricity from Tajikistan to Afghanistan during uh, last winter, and they, they signed uh, an agreement. But the agreement was signed by. Uh, the commercial organization of, of Afghanistan, not official, not state entity. And the Tajik authorities uh, said that they are caring about ordinary people who are suffering during the, the winter and so on. But now they are, they are keeping silent when, when uh, a lot of questions uh, is going on on the, on the social media that what does it mean? Uh, does it mean that you already started negotiations with Taliban and it means you will not support a Tajik uh, uh, minority in Afghanistan and so on? A lot of questions and no answers. Okay, um, thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, if relations with, between the Taliban and Tajik is... Tajik government seem to be improving. Um, there are complications further downstream, and and I'll start with um, with you, Ali Shir, because you're the first country downstream along the Amodarya. The, the the news of this canal, and it's it, it's not really news because they, the Taliban started digging a canal in their section of over on their section of the uh, border uh, last spring, and, but it is. 100 kilometers long now, according to them, and it's starting to make a lot of news because they're going to take water from the same river that, that Uzbekistan uses to get its water for crops down in that part. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that worked out? And it seemed, you know, all of a sudden in February, it seemed like this big surprising story, uh, even though, like I said, it's the construction started about a year ago. What, what's the attitude in Uzbekistan toward the Taliban digging this canal, which they say is rightly, you know, they're they can do this. It's their right because they need the water for agriculture, just like Uzbekistan does. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, you know, initially, uh, Tashkent's position towards Taliban government was pretty amiable, you know, unlike uh, Tajikistan. Uh, and, you know, they arranged uh, lots of visits, lots of uh, discussions and humanitarian aid uh, and the reconciliation and peace and security issues. So there, there's been a number of projects like railroad, also transit of goods through Tajik territory. All these were in in kind of in discussion, but this uh, new kind of a canal that Taliban government is digging, uh, apparently, you know, seeding uh, a lot of uh, problems uh, between these two uh, countries. Though it was very strange uh, that a couple of weeks ago, uh, Uzbek delegation led by uh, Abdulaziz Komilov, uh, the advisor for foreign uh, affairs of president of the president of Uzbekistan, 
so the final kind of a talks were uh, under closed door, but the report that came out of this uh, meeting that Uzbekistan offered its help, technical help, uh, to construct this canal. So it's kind of a, a dubious messages we are receiving from this. Uh, so on one hand, we absolutely know that the canal will reduce the uh, water in Amudaria downstream to at least one third on the others, and that would affect uh, severely agriculture, the ports on Amudaria, the fishing and the Aral Sea, you know, the ecology, ecology of the region. But on the other side, why Uzbekistan offered a technical help, it remains to be a, like a big mystery, whether they have some plan uh, to stop it while construction. So that's kind of a very, let's say, uh, remains in the dark, I would say. Okay, thanks. Let me just follow up for a second. What's your understanding of the, the professionalism of the of construction of this canal? What we see, we see like uh, hundreds of, uh, of uh, trucks loaded and digging. The, the digging is, uh, is also uh, being done, according to experts, in some kind of a violation of, uh, of a digging process. So they're basically using water that will make its water its way through the, through the, through the earth. So it's kind of a chaotic, uh, lots of heavy machineries. And uh, basically what officials told us, they also sitting and watching this on satellite. And of course, there are a number of uh, high-level top officials who raised this issue. But for some reason, apparently... Uh, Mirziyoyev's government is too scared or weak to take more like drastic measures to to take this under control or demand some uh, kind of uh, uh, standards to be met or stop this. I mean, what we hear is that that would be absolutely not possible if somebody like President Karimov would be in power. You know, President Karimov used to have... Uh, huge buffer zone in the, in the areas controlled by ethnic Uzbeks in Tajikistan. And I mean, they would go all the way to undo this kind of a canal. But uh, so far, we're not seeing any kind of uh, uh, decisive steps from Uzbek government. Okay, thanks. Farooq, the Amudaria has been, there's been less and less water in the Amudaria for years. I mean, the, the proof of that is the fact that the Aral Sea is, has dried up so much. The Amudaria used to reach the Aral Sea and provide water to it. And it's long, many, many years since the Amudaria actually reached the Aral Sea. Can you describe um, the situation in, in Turkmenistan, which is the end of that river, the Amudaria? Uh, what, what's the agricultural situation like in Turkmenistan now? Yeah, in Turkmenistan, uh, uh, Amudaria is the main source of water for irrigation in, in agriculture. There is, a, uh, as you know, Karakum Channel, which derives water from Amudaria, and it uh, feeds uh, all those uh, 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 southern and uh, southwestern regions of Turkmenistan. And in the past uh, three, four years, that Karakum Channel according to our correspondents inside the country, became like a small ditch, uh, as they describe it. And even the Amudaria itself, 
according to local irrigation specialists, the water level dropped by more than 60% in the recent several years. And as a result, Turkmenistan wasn't able to fulfill, um, you know, the the state quotas for uh, wheat production, cotton production. In the past several years, they haven't been able to fulfill the uh, those state quotas. And of course, there are other problems too. Uh, they use water irrationally. As uh, UN, I think a couple of years ago, uh, estimated that. By the way, Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan, the level of irrational use of water reached critical critical point they said so th- there are a lot of problems and of course this uh, new channel in afghanistan which taliban for some reason was uh, is able to dig out so quickly according to the satellite images at least 50 or 60 kilometers of that uh, channel is already had been has already been dug out so uh, that's uh, that's causing a lot of concerns among uh, the farmers in Turkmenistan because they know they hear that it's been built, but not uh, by concerns by the government because government pretends as if nothing is happening. Gov- uh, unlike Uzbekistan, which at least has made some efforts to negotiate with Taliban and offer some technical help and probably that technical help will mean that there will be some sort of a deal on how to use the water resources. Turkmenistan hasn't done anything. And that's because, as Alisher mentioned, that the government in in Uzbekistan is weak. Probably Turkmen government is even weaker and is uh, petrified to to counter anything uh, that Taliban is doing. As you know, Turkmenistan has been uh, in contact and uh, trying to appease Taliban even before August 2021, before uh, Taliban returned to power in Afghanistan. And they are quite uh, quite wary of, of Taliban in, in Ashgabat. So those um, concerns by the farmers are legitimate because already that downstream of of uh, uh, Amudaria in in Lebap region uh, on on the border to uh, into Uzbekistan, um, they already having few few amount of water, little amount of water for for irrigation, and end of the uh, Karakum River hasn't received water in in the past several years. You know, how, how many years now would you say that crops are diminishing in Turkmenistan? I'm kind of curious. I I would say at least. In the in the past four years, I mean, according to our reporters and according to our reports, in the four in the past four years, we've been reporting that the wheat quota hasn't been fulfilled and cotton quota wasn't fulfilled, and that that's partly responsible for the shortage of flour in Turkmenistan. And Turkmenistan now has to import considerable amounts of wheat to satisfy the the demand like partially satisfy the demand at home okay um thanks and just uh, one last question and this is for both you and then and ali Shir also um any sign that the governments are making any efforts to prepare some of these communities that are at the you know 
have been to kind of the end of the line of this water system. Uh, you know, the Amudarya does cross, ends up by the Uzbek-Turkmen border far north from Afghanistan. Are they taking any measures to get these communities ready for the fact that they might, in fact, have no possibility of, of remaining there uh, if the water dries up? Uh, Farouk, start with you. I, well, I mean, we, we, even if they are doing anything, we don't know because they don't make any public statements. And at the moment, what we hear from Turkmenistan I mean, regarding the water problem is only from the farmers. The government, they always say, oh, we provide our farmers with enough water, with enough uh, equipment and minerals. They, they always boast that the farmers have all the means to flourish but which is not the case in reality. And from what we know from farmers, the government is not responding to, to their concerns. Okay, thank you. Uh, Ali Shir, anything from the Uzbek side? I mean, on the ground, uh, you, the, the government already kind of uh, tried to, but is it a response to Koshtepa Canal? But in general, there is a kind of a, uh, water saving technologies uh, kind of a, very slowly is being introduced uh, are being introduced but uh, apart from that like specifically for for Koshtepa I don't think they are there yet so it's uh, it's a big question so of course it will depend how much water will be diverted uh, so initially it might be nearly like uh, having non-impact, no, 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 no impact, but we don't know what will happen the years after that. So they still have some time to prepare, but the question is whether they de facto already acknowledge that there will be a canal or still there, there are some hopes that this, will, this construction will somehow stalemate and uh, will never be finished. Uh, so what Taliban are doing Taliban's are doing are basically it's not like they lack water in that region. These are the regions that historically didn't have water. So these are desert, you know, deserts mainly in Afghanistan, which were never cultivated. Uh, and uh, and as we know, like uh, Afghanistan in general is not suffering from a huge water shortage since it's uh, in a, a very mountainous region. So they basically, they might have a problem with managing the existing water rather than, you know, diverting a, a river to have, uh, to, to have their agriculture going. So, uh, so kind of a, Uzbekistan is now in a, in a crossroads which way to go, whether we go and help them to make it properly and then try to put our leverage on this or we just, you know, watch and see how it how it's going to end. But the biggest puzzle is where the money come from for this canal. We know for sure that the whole project was offered by, by Russians and uh, however the Finance financing of this canal is very untransparent. Uh, some sources say that this is Emirates who sponsored this, but definitely it's very expensive project. Uh, I mean, if it's done properly, of course. Okay, uh, thank you, thank you. And um, we've reached a halfway point in our discussion, so it's time for me to remind that this is the Medjlis podcast, ready for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. 
I'm Bruce Paneer, host of the Medjilis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. We're talking about Central Asia's changing relationship with the Taliban, and joining me for this discussion are Farouk Yusufi, director of RFARL's Turkmen service, known locally as Asad Lik, Alishir Siddiq, director of RFARL's Uzbek service, known locally as Azad Lik, Salim John Ayoub, director of RFARL's Tajik service, known locally as Azadi. Uh, thank you again for being on the program. And Salim John, I'm going to come back to you because we were noticing now we see that, that there's some problems with Turkmen, Turkmenistan's and Uzbekistan's relationship with the Taliban. So it, it seems like the Taliban's relationship with the Tajik government is improving at least a little bit. But then again, there's some other problems, too. The Taliban just said that the person that was responsible for killing the governor, its governor of Balkh province, which borders Uzbekistan, that, that among the the people responsible were citizens of Tajikistan who had been sent there. Uh, any, any response from the Tajik government on this accusation? So far, no response, no reactions. Um, but yeah, but uh, Taliban are saying that uh, those Tajik citizens are member of the Islamic State Khorasan, and that's the group that uh, Tajikistan also afraid, uh, at least Tajik government. Uh, so I mean, I mean, yeah, we we are witnessing a kind of. Uh, beginning of the softening of relations uh, between Tajikistan and Taliban. At the same time, uh, it, it, it's, it's not happening uh, by itself, you know. Uh, something, something is, uh, is uh, creating this situation, and some experts are saying that, for example, that it's for protection of national interests of Tajikistan. Uh, first, secondly, because Tajikistan remained uh, the only country in this front against Taliban for a long time. Uh, even close uh, neighbors didn't support it, uh, Tajikistan in, in, in this position. And uh, also, I, I met one interesting point in, on the Asia Plus uh, that, um, especially uh, fingering on on uh, uh, lists of Tajikistan in in the front against Taliban, saying that uh, look, the United States, the Europe, and all, all other countries verbally are criticizing Taliban, but at the same time uh, giving uh, money and helping, negotiating to them. Uh, so this is one point. Second, Afghan embassy to Tajikistan and Khoro Consulate are important from the very interesting point of view because uh, we have uh, many leaders of the National Front uh, uh, led by Masood in, in, in Tajikistan and the Ambassador uh, Akbar uh, have been always being mouthpiece of, of this front. If you remember, when, when Taliban visited Uzbekistan, they visited the embassy and said, look, all the people who uh, had been working uh, with the previous government, they will, they will stay and they will continue their work. So the Tajikistan situation is completely different. But uh, shortly, um, I, even uh, if I think... Uh, all what is going on in this region in the relationship between uh, Central Asian countries and Taliban, uh, when we are seeing problems ups and down, 
and now we have this uh, canal uh, situation. Uh, so it's looking like um, eventually they will be solved. They will be solved and uh, not without help or consultation of major partners of uh, the Central Asian governments. Uh, Russia, uh, China, even in the case of the uh, latest uh, Taliban visit uh, to Khorog, I heard that even Iranians were involved somehow. Uh, and that's it's because, uh, because it's, everything is going on to, uh, if to, to look in, in a larger context, uh, the construction of the anti-American and anti-Western front uh, in, in this region using Taliban, using relationship with Taliban is going on and growing uh, as Russia is losing in Ukraine uh, so and China is in a different and difficult situation, awkward situation. So in this region, they are playing, I can say, very well. No, just I wanted to ask one more other question too. Um, you know, you said that after they signed the electricity agreement, the Taliban and Tajikistan they used the term softening of relations a little bit. Um, there was a time when the Taliban stationed militants from from Jamaat Ansarullah, which is a, a group that comes out of Tajikistan, Tajik citizens who have been fighting in Afghanistan for a long time. Um, are they still? Are those troops still there, to the best of your knowledge, along the Tajik border? Yes, but uh, then the, they decreased in the in the number, and the most importantly, all those groups, Jamaat Ansarullah and some other smaller groups, and and even those who who uh, crossed the border uh, during uh, after the Taliban takeover after August uh, 2021, uh, they were consolidated in Tahriki Taliban Tajikistan in July 2022, uh, and this was orchestrated by Taliban. And uh, so they it's a kind of a, a sign of uh, strengthening control on all those groups, uh, especially in terms of uh, uh, thinking uh, any kind of action against Tajikistan. And probably uh, we can just imagine that uh, Taliban has done that and told the Tajik uh, authorities that um, now they are uh, in control and no one can pose any threat, but uh, Tajikistan should give something in return. And now we, we can see the electricity uh, agreement and the, the uh, delegation visiting. Okay, thanks. Um, uh, sure. Uh, in relations between Uzbekistan and the Taliban, um, you know, we know that actually Uzbekistan has probably the best relations of any of the Central Asian countries with the Taliban. It's kind of been leading such efforts as there have been regionally to, to engage with, with the Taliban. But there was an incident on the Paigambar Island last summer. Whatever happened with that? You know, there were uh, a number of uh, incidents like that. Uh, one of that was, you know, uh, accidental shelling of Uzbek cities, if you remember, the Termas, uh, the neighboring city. Uh, then there were like uh, some diplomatic row over railway, uh, I mean, transit on, on you know, railway transit, when Uzbekistan shut the transit. Then there was uh, an incident when Uzbekistan shut the electricity because it lacked electricity 
on its by its own. So there were things like that. So, but eventually they were they managed to work around these kind of edges, and uh, Uzbekistan basically is trying to uh, accept the de facto regime uh, in uh, in Afghanistan and uh, trying to not to escalate the situation. But uh, as we see. Taliban is kind of a, trying to benefit from it. And uh, the impression is that Uzbekistan is kind of a preferring uh, a rather weak peace and, you know, rather than having kind of a conflict in its, it, with, with, with its neighbor. So accepting that existence of de facto regime and actually calling international community to accept it, you know. But there are kind of a ramifications such as this canal or stuff. So because when Taliban began construction, they never consulted with Uzbekistan, for example. So and they would never consult on on, on other things, I believe. So uh, that's where we remain, you know, with, with Taliban. So Farouk, actually, it's over to you. You know, there used to be problems along the Afghan-Turkmen border it's before the Taliban came to power. Has there been any, have there been any incidents since the Taliban returned to power in August 2021? Yes, there were a couple of incidents, like shootings. There were uh, unconfirmed reports that, uh, like, small groups of, of armed people, and, and we don't know if if they had any connection to Taliban entered uh, Turkmenistan in the Mari uh, province and they killed a couple of uh, shepherds in Turkmenistan. And on the the other hand, there were some cases when uh, Turkmen border guards shoot into, shot into uh, Afghan territory and killed a couple of people there. And uh, apparently those uh, people were uh, ethnic Turkmen's. And as far as we were told, those ethnic Turkmen's were trying to flee uh, to, uh, uh, Afghanistan, like they were fleeing uh, for some for some unknown reason, and there was this kind of incident. But before the Taliban took over, there were a couple of uh, major incidents with uh, dozens of uh, uh, Turkmen border guards uh, being killed. But after August 2021, there were just small, smaller incidents, if you will, uh, when there were casualties on both sides. So last question is just the, what le- uh, kind of what level enga- of engagement do the governments have with the Taliban at, the, at this moment? I mean, what have they discussed uh, that are common points for them to, to have some kind of cooperation? I'll start with you, Farouk. Uh, uh, from Turk- Turkmenistan's point of view, they, I mean, there is no the discussion apart from, uh, I mean, they, the uh, Turkmen government uses uh, Taliban to uh, remind of its uh, TAPI project from time to time. They say, oh, Taliban government is uh, uh, welcoming the, our efforts and uh, all this kind of, um, this kind of uh, rhetoric. And uh, to, Turkmen government is uh, very uh, wary of uh, the Taliban and the threat that, that comes from Taliban, and they uh, been tr- they've been trying to appease Taliban like 
as they did for many years. They send uh, humanitarian aid. They send uh, d- a different kind of uh, aid, and also they uh, se- still sell uh, electricity to Afghanistan. From from Turkmenistan's point of view, it's mostly uh, appeasing the uh, Tal- Taliban regime in, in Afghanistan. That's the engagement. Okay, uh, thanks, Ali Sheer. What about the Uzbek government and the Taliban? How's their rela- what's their relationship like? I mean, what what things do they discuss when they get together? What's their common interests? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, they discuss primarily, you know, uh, the. Railroad situation, you know, it's fully operated by Uzbek Railroad Company, and uh, the transit, and also this uh, kind of a, a exchange of uh, some goods. Uh, you know, Uzbekistan also offered to launch a school for for Afghan women. So these kind of things, you know, Uzbekistan, as you know, was praised for its efforts to um, to help you know, to improve the situation with women in, uh, in Afghanistan. So that's kind of a, uh, one of the things they're doing. And, of course, uh, raising this concern on the top level, including President's daughter, Saida Mirziaeva, also raised the concern about the plight of women in Afghanistan. So generally, uh, what was very uh, kind of a, funny and unwelcome in some sense when the Taliban delegation uh, visited Uzbekistan last year, a huge crowd gathered around them, you know, and prayed with them. So that that's still like a mystery. Are they welcoming Taliban leadership or they just were curious to see how these people look? So that's kind of a, the funny part of, of this. But in general, uh, you know, the connections are there. Uh, The new challenge with this canal is also there. So we will have to see how it will be resolved. Um, I just got to ask real quick, any any sign of cooperation on the Islamic State of Khorasan, which tried to launch rockets into Uzbekistan a couple times from Afghan territory last year? You know, whatever kind of a... Concerned the security situation and security issues, uh, you know, this uh, border is completely under the state security service. We we never, almost never obtain any information about this kind of uh, cooperation. Okay. Um, and then Salim John, you get the last word. Also, starting with the same point, um, the Islamic State of Horasan has also launched rockets, into, launched rockets into Tajikistan last year. And of course, they're they seem to be aiming a lot of propaganda out of Afghanistan at citizens inside Tajikistan. Any sign that the government even unofficially in some way has contacted the Taliban about dealing with uh, Islamic State of Khorasan? I think so, uh, because uh, if you remember when we discovered and published a story about how Taliban um, posted uh, Ansarullah members at the border with Tajikistan. So there was a a small negotiation between the two parts. I mean, Tajik border uh, service and the uh, Taliban from other side. So just to make sure that Ansarullah people will be uh, sent to, to relocated uh, to other places. 
Um, but in general, uh, in those relationships, I think the duality uh, of the uh, uh, positions, uh, both uh, uh, from uh, Tajikistan towards Taliban and vice versa, this duality will be will be there always. Uh, it it has always existed, and it will be continued because there is, of course, there is a lot of topics to discuss between the two sides, but the main topic uh, will be, uh, of course, uh, that uh, Taliban will never uh, uh, rely on, on the Tajik government due to what happened in the past, uh, in previous uh, uh, tenure, and also because the Tajik government is, is always talking about uh, um, uh, uh, ethnic minorities in, in, in Afghanistan, uh, but uh, yeah, but this duality will will will, will stay, will stay there, uh, and it will be difficult for both sides to repair uh, a relationship without a third party. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Well, we've run out of time. Um, and of course, we can talk about this topic for, for hours and hours. And I'm sure I will have you all back on the show to talk about this topic again in the future. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you, uh, Ali Shear. And thank you, Salim John. And thank you, Farouk, for being on the program. And a big thank you to Nathan Shoemaker, our producer in Washington, D.C. Uh, and a reminder that you can subscribe to the Medjlis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much. Have a good week and goodbye.